This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb. 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Soul to Soul show on a Erev Shabbos afternoon. Friday afternoon, we are back at the beginning of the cycle. The Yom Tovim are over. Some are upset about it. Some are quite happy about it. If we did a survey, I wonder if we'd come out about 50-50. In fact, I was listening to yesterday, someone was asking the question, if someone would come over to you with a a button that you could press that would sort of take you back in time to the first day of of Slichot, and you'd have to do the whole process again, the whole month, going back to wherever it was uh, when we started Slichot a week, a week or so before for Rosh Hashanah. Would you do it again? Would you welcome the second opportunity and maybe think that second time around one could do it one could do it better or is it two okay I got through one year but I need another 11 months to sort of kind of re-energize myself and you know recharge my battery so I can get ready to do it again next year interesting sort of completely theoretical question for you to muse about as you're going along and around and doing your Erev Shabbos activities, Parshas Bereshis, back to the beginning of the Torah creation and the beginning, it all, it all starts again in our, our quest for understanding, our quest for meaning, our quest for trying to really get a little bit into the depth of what the Torah starts again. And of course, it's, it's an aliyah. It's, it's, it's a celebration that we had on some Torah because we're going to try it again. We're going to do it again, but we're not going to do it the same as last year because thank God we went through the Torah last year and we learned a bit and we understood a bit and we asked a few questions and we have a few more ideas and we have a few more concepts that we can throw around. And therefore, as we approach the, the Torah this year and we start to learn it and we start to get into it, hey, this is a whole new operation because our minds are not in the same place. Our 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 kalima, our, our, our capabilities, and our and our intellectual capacity for understanding, for grasping, for for growing, for for being able to come to grips with things is completely different. So this year is going to be an exciting new adventure in in uh, in in Torah, and and it's so it's so incredibly uh, invigorating. To be to be starting to be starting again, but of course, you know it's it requires the effort. You know the the uh, the the, the Heidegger uh, always says that the the month after after Tishrei is called Mar Cheshvan, and the usual explanation is Mar Cheshvan Mar because it's a bitter month because after a month that's so full. Of of Chagim and Rosh Hashanah and Yasef Mechuva and Sukkot and and then Yom Kippur and then four days of running around frantically and frenetically getting everything ready for Sukkot and then and then Sukkot and then Shmiyatzes and Chastara. Wow! Now we have this really really quiet quiet uh, 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 moment and and Rishon uh, says that perhaps there's another another meaning behind the word Marcheshvan and comes from the word Merachashin. Merachesh means to, to, to whisper. And it has many meanings. You know, first of all, uh, many, many people still both literally and figuratively find themselves walking around still under their breath humming the the, the tunes of of the Yom Narayim, with the Roshani, with Yom Kippur, of the perhaps of the of the songs that were sung at the uh, Hakafot on, on on Yom Kippur, we're taking we're taking stuff with us 
from it. You know, we daven on the Shemona Yisrael of, of, of the, of Chagim Vasiyenu Hashem Lokeinu Espiru Kasmei Adecha. Kaddish Baruch let us sort of pack up in our little kit bags a little bit of the Baruch of the, uh, of of the Moya. Let, let us take some of that Kedusha, some of that holiness, some of what we've gained and imbibed during that time and uh, and uh, take it take it uh, take take it with us. The the Dovna Magid has a has a beautiful, beautiful analogy uh, that he where he talks about a uh, certain wealthy person who had a son who I guess to use a kind terminology, was a, a loigutzlach. He wasn't someone that had any great success in any endeavor he ever undertook. He perhaps wasn't necessarily that well endowed in the intellectual area. You know, he thought sort of brain cells or where you kept inmates or something like that where he didn't didn't really didn't really uh, apply himself and didn't really make that much of a of an effort which of course caused his uh, his father great consternation great angst what's going to be of my son what you know can't can't get anything together can't he's just going to sort of sit around uh, his whole life and he'll be a be a, a couch potato or or, or something like that. And of course, for an industrious, you know, go-getter kind of father to see a son like that is very, very, very uh, uh, painful. And uh, the son was aware of it and he tried this, he tried that, he tried other things that didn't, didn't really go that well, that well for, for, for him. So one day he was uh, sort of moseying through, through town and he, uh, he wandered into the, the shop of the, uh, of the local, silversmith and uh no he didn't wander in sorry his father his father sent him and his father sent him with a a, a candelabra one of the candelabras in the house that had uh, as sometimes happens to these things become a little bit uh, uh you know overused and maybe uh, over dropped a few times and it was now looking more like some kind of a trapezoid you might see on a on a sort of fourth year uh, a mathematical uh, uh, you know question posed on some on some exam in, in university he wasn't looking all that much like a a uh, a candelabra and he asked his son to go take it into the silversmith and and uh, and hopefully he'd be able to do something do something for it or to it and, and make it make it usable again. So so the son goes off, does his father's bidding. He wasn't a bad boy. Takes it to the shop and the uh the silversmith takes it and, and kind of just gives it a good once over, puts it on the table, uh picks up his his huge big hammer, gives it a couple of good clops, knocking it completely and totally lopsided. Uh and Slaps it off and puts it off in the corner of his of his shop, and tells him, "Right, come back in uh, in a week's time, and it'll be as good it'll be as good as new. And don't forget to please bring me a hundred dollars in order to uh, to come and uh, and collect it." So the young man comes home and he says to his dad, "Dad, I need your help." I want you to lend me a thousand a thousand dollars, whatever it is, and I'm going to set up a business. I have I have the great idea that I'm I'm going to make it this time. It's going to be big. It's going to be something successful. You're going to be so proud of me, Daddy. And he uh, 
Fellas is good. If, you go, <laughs> if he can get away with just a thousand dollars to help his son get something doing, it's, it's a small cost. So he lends him the money and the son goes and, uh, rents himself a little, a little, uh, shop color somewhere and, uh, and puts up a really, really fancy sign. You know, here we fix all kinds of silver and gold and beautiful and flashing lights and whatever it is. Nice, nice sign. He buys himself a hammer and a couple of things and, uh, he waits, and uh, you know, it's a new shop. People are always intrigued by, by new new shops. So people come in, and they start bringing him things, and and they bring him their their menorahs and their and their candelabras and all sorts of things. Their cups, which are twisted and and uh, sort of uh, standing at uh, perpendicular angles to 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 each other, and. And and they bring him to him, and he says, "Sure, I can fix this. It's not a problem at all." And he takes out his hammer and he gives out a good clap, and throws it in the corner and says, "Well, don't forget to bring a hundred dollars next week, and you'll get it back as as good as new." In a couple of days, he gets a huge pile of stuff in his uh, in his corner, and he waited. He waited for a week to uh, to pass. And the people started uh, coming back, and he said, "Can I?" And they would come. You know, "Can I please have my cup?" And he went into his junk corner there and kind of dived under a few, uh, you know, ten, twenty other things, and found the cup in its completely mangled and twisted form, and says, "Here, here's." He looks at this. Well, one, one second. It's not fixed. How does that happen? And the person would say, "What, what do you mean?" Why isn't it fixed? What's going on? But I was sure that it was going to it was going to fix itself. That's what the blacksmith did. So the other smith, he threw it in the corner and he told him to come back in a week, and and he told him to bring money. How come it didn't work? So of course I told him you're an absolute fool because I mean, you don't know that as soon as uh, the customers walked out of the shop, he sat the Yemen Balaga Lay so he didn't he didn't stop, he was working, he was he was uh, shaving and moving and, and welding and putting together and, and, and worked very, very hard to to make it all make it all come come together. And the monk says, Yeah, we just had a Yarashani and Yim Kippur and, and we negotiated and we bartered and we and we got the Rabbanishlam to perhaps even uh, give us a full Clean slate and 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 machilas and we're starting all over again. Great, but now we've got to fill that slate. Now we've got to work and, and use the time after yontav is over to to be mischazeg ourselves, to strengthen ourselves in our learning of Torah and in our year and make this year a, a truly momentous and truly special kind of a kind of a kind of kind of a year. Just perhaps a, a, a very brief idea on, on, on the past just before as we get back to, to the concept of Amira Lakam, which we're discussing. Something that always intrigued me about this Pasha is just the kind of the chronological order in which events actually took place. And particularly I'm talking about today is when were Cain and Hevel born? We know that Adam Rishon was was created. Adam Rishon was created on on Yom Shishi on on erev erev uh, Shabbos and was thrown out of Gan Eden already uh, just before before Shabbos. And Nov and Nod went went wandering. When did Cain uh, Hevel actually appear on uh, on 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 the scene? So what's actually comes came come to light 
is that there are three different opinions in the in the in the midrashim as to what uh, what actually uh, what actually happened. The first opinion that the midrash actually brings is that in fact both Cain and Hevel were born after the chait of uh, of Adam Rishon. Adam Rishon had the chait and was expelled, and then only then were uh, only then were Cain and Hevel. Kind of born, and uh, this is actually uh, explained by the uh, by the Ben Ishai in the Gemara in Ksuvas. Daf almost says that uh, gives a piece of advice to a woman who is who is pregnant. That if a woman who is pregnant that wants to have a uh, Children that the one calls it has to have a good smell. That could be a physical smell. That could be a that could be a you know a, a nice reach tov like 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 we said by the abaminim that are full of mitzvahs. So he says she, she should be makbed to eat some esrog while she is uh, while she is pregnant, so that her children should have this good this good uh, this good smell. And and the Ben Ishchai explains that it's within the the nature of the esrog that not only does it have a good smell itself, but it has the ability to transmit that good smell to other things. I mean, there are many fruits that have good smells. A lemon also has a has a nice a nice smell. But he says only the the esrog has the ability to transmit that smell to somebody to somebody uh, to somebody else. So a woman who's pregnant. Uh, uh, if she has the esrog, will 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 kind of this uh, this this uh, good smell will auger and then will uh, will kind of infiltrate in through the whatever placenta into the children and give them give them a good scent. And he says, therefore, it makes sense that since according to certainly one opinion, the Gemara as you mentioned uh, 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 last week, uh, uh, and that's the opinion accepted certainly by the Mikubolim that the uh, the fruit that Adam did the Aver, that Adam and Chava did the Aver with, was an Esrig. So therefore, in this particular case, the 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 Esrig was a fruit that caused, instead of sm- causing a good smell, it caused a kilkel, it caused a, a, a general mess up and a general sort of a downgrading of the whole state of humanity where people were now going to die. So therefore... Uh, uh, that too was uh, was transmitted from from mother to to child, and and uh, we find the situations that evolved with Cain and Hevel came about because of, of the fact that they were born after the chait, and and uh, and uh, the negativity of the esrog was transmitted to to them. So that's one opinion in the uh, in the medrash. The second opinion. This is comes actually from the Breshis Rabbah Rabba in Simon Chof Beis, uh, where he says that they were actually both born before the Chet, and that's that's more in line with the Gemara. Where the Gemara kind of uh, gives a chronological event of what happened on that day, and one of the things it says is that uh, two went up on on the bed, and four. Well, we'll see in a second how many actually uh, how many came came down. And therefore, 
Cain uh, uh, were both alive at the time of the of the uh, of the sin of the Eitzadas, which then raises an incredibly interesting question as to why was it then that they died? Because Misa was imposed upon those who had imbibed from from the Eitz Hadas. Uh, uh, Adam and Chava, we know the major says, not only ate it themselves, but they gave it to all the all the animals to to eat. But we have no evidence that Cain and Hevel actually ate from it. So, which leads us to the question: What actually happened? Why did they die? I'm, I'm going to leave you to ponder that question for exactly 30 seconds while we take a break. We'll come back and, and finish that discussion off. This is 101.9 Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul on the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb. 101.9 Chai FM. We are back here on your radio. This is the uh, first Shabbos of the regular cycle of the new year. Uh, uh, this is Shabbos Parshas Bracious, the important details and times for this Shabbos. The latest candle lighting time this afternoon is at 5.51, nine minutes before 6 o'clock. Make sure you have your candles on by then. Try to get them early. Let's start the year with a new energy, with a new enthusiasm, and get get the, get the Shabbos started uh, uh, properly, and Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at six forty-one, nineteen minutes before before seven. This week is also uh, Shabbos Mevorchim, the Shabbos on which we herald the upcoming of Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan or Marachashin will take place. Please God, this week on Tuesday and Wednesday. So it's one of these weeks where you get to have a special. Torah reading Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Tuesday, Wednesday being being Rosh uh, Chodesh. Uh, so still a little bit of the of the Tishrei left. Many still aren't saying Tachanun. So it hasn't hasn't uh, over yet. So why did Cain and Hevel die? If they didn't eat from the fruit of the Eitz Adas, then uh, what what went wrong? It's actually a very very uh, interesting and strong and strong question, and it's a uh, a question that people that that is uh, that is uh, that is asked. So uh, the the Gemara the Gemara says that no 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 sorry the the, Med, the Medrash says that there's a a although I just mentioned that uh, Adam and Chava gave the the uh, esrog let's say to eat to all the animals. There was one bird. Who's called the Choyal birds that never ate from the uh, from the Eitzadas and therefore never dies. And once it's lived a thousand years, it kind of recharges, regenerates, and goes back to to its youth and starts all all uh, all over again. Um, this is this is quite uh, quite interesting. It seems to be quite similar to a Gemara in Sanhedrin, Davkovches, which is is relevant to to next week's parsha, to the story of the of the Teva, where Shame Shame Ben Noach is is telling over what life was like 
in the uh, in the Teva and how they survived the incredible ordeal that they uh, that they had. And he, and he said there was this certain birds called the Orishna. And the Orishna was, was sitting there in, in, the, in the table. It was one of the birds that was on the table. And uh, one day Noah passed by and he kind of noticed it sitting in the in the corner. And he suddenly realized that this was the first time he was seeing it. So Noah turns to the bird, this is shame reporting, and says, Mr. Bird, I mean, uh, you know, don't you need food? Haven't, uh, can't I, can't I get something for you? He says, of course I need food, but I, I saw and I realized how, how busy you are. You're running up and down and day and night and every animal's making so many demands and you're being driven crazy. I didn't want to be matriarch. I didn't want to bother you. I didn't want to put you out. So I just stayed here in the corner quietly. So Nayak said to him and, and to turn around and he, and he benched him. He gave him, gave him a special bracha that, uh, and, and the, and the major quotes of the Gemara Pasuk, that in the course of what you've done, you should be zeche to live, to live for, for, forever. And Rashi there in the Gemara says that this is the same bird. This is the choil bird that has the special bracha of living, of living forever. So the question is, why did it need to get a, a life sentence, you know, this ability to live forever, twice? If it already got it but from, from the fact that it didn't imbibe the Esrig at the time of Adam and Chava, so then why did I need another, another uh, Abrach again in the time of, in the time of Nayach? So the, uh, the Yafei Tayar, one of the commentaries on the, uh, on the Medrash, so, he says, first of all, perhaps it's two different midrashim that don't necessarily agree with each other. But then he says nothing. He says, no. The reason I needed a second bracha, because the fact that this whole bird never ate from the fruit of the Yetzadas meant that what did eating the Yetzadas introduce? It introduced that there was a mortality, a normal mortality built into human being. Every human being was going to was going to uh, die, and that was the natural course of events that would that would unfortunately befall anyone who had imbibed from that fruit. So when the choil didn't eat from that, he was saved from that natural phenomenon of death. But there's still other ways. And it could have died. It could have been shot with an arrow or something like that. And therefore, the bracha of Noyach, says the Yifastaya, was the bracha that not only should he have, uh, should, be, should he be immune from the intrinsic death that was brought into the world by eating from the Eitzadas, but also be free from any kind of incidental Death that can happen from from the uh, from the out from the outside. So therefore, he suggests that Enochnam, even though uh, Cain and Hevel did not eat, they were born before the sin of the golden cow of of, of the of the Eitzadas, and never ate. And therefore, yes, they were immune from the uh, from the frailty of of the of of what the Eitzadas caused, but. That only prevented them from the natural kind of death. And the reality was that neither Cain nor Hevel died 
of of old age of of natural of natural causes. Hevel, of course, was killed by by Cain, and Cain uh, himself was uh, was killed by by Lamech, the the father of Tuval Cain, who was blind, and and Tuval Cain took his father hunting and saw something in the distance, which really was Cain, but he thought was a uh, some kind of wild animal, and he told his father to. Uh, to shoot him with the arrow, and and uh, thus thus Cain was uh, was was killed. So even though they were immune the, uh, uh, to the to the uh, even though they were immune to the uh, what what uh, what happened subsequent to eating Etzadas, they still they still met their met their death. The the third explanation in Medrash, which is a hybrid, says in fact that Cain was. Uh, Born before the height of the Etzadas, and Hevel was born afterwards. Of course, uh, 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 throws a sort of a, a rat amongst the pigeons. Now we always imagine that Cain uh, and Hevel were were twins, and this clearly says that they uh, that they weren't. But he then goes on the part the part of Yofos then goes on in an incredibly interesting way to uh, to uh, explain. What in fact was the whole argument between Cain and uh, and, and Hevel? I mean, it sounds from the pesukim that uh, that Cain was jealous that his korban uh, was was uh, was not accepted and Hevel's was accepted, and he says that's right now. But the, the reality is, he says that was a pretense. That wasn't really what the fight was about. What was the fight really about? So I'll tell us that. Uh, both Cain and Hevel were born with a female twin. Well, actually not. Cain was born with a female twin, and Hevel was born as a triplet with two sisters. And the fight was about who was going to get to marry the third the the third sister. Why? Why? Why is it so important? Why is it worth fighting about? It says because the halach is amongst amongst non-Jews that two siblings that share the same father are not allowed to get get another uh, on the country. Sorry, yeah, uh, two siblings that share the same father are allowed to get married, but two siblings that share the same mother would not be allowed to marry to marry each other. So Cain had a problem because Cain was just had one one wife, so he would marry uh, one one sister. He would marry its sister, and even if they had a boy and a girl, they wouldn't be able to marry each other because they came from the same mother, and that would be the end of of Cain's family. Hevel, who had Two sisters, if we would marry them both, and they'd have a boy and a girl, they could marry each other, and there'd be continuity, and therefore that's what they were fighting about. We're going to come back with a little, at least, closing segment of of halacha. This is Soul to Soul on one one point nine. Don't run away. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb. One one point nine. Chafel, we are back on your radio here in Johannesburg. On a beautiful Friday afternoon, getting a little bit warmer. We had a little bit of a cold spell the last couple of days. Uh, just a, because this is a local show, 
got a little bit carried away today, but uh, just uh, we started discussing a few weeks ago the concept of the uh, malacha done by a non-Jew. So we're up to the point where we're, we want to ask the question, where can one have benefit from work that is done by a uh, by a non-Jew on Shabbos, even though it's being done for a Jew. So the halacha says that if, let's say, let's talk about a light. Let's say there was some light on in your house. It wasn't a very big, it was a quite a soft light, whatever it is. Uh, it was quite weak uh, that you could use that light. Maybe uh, you could eat, you could find your mouth uh, with it. Uh, maybe you could even sort of, you know, organize your house, put things away. Maybe you could even, if you don't look too closely, wash the, uh, wash the dishes. But it certainly wasn't enough light to, to, let's say, read. It was too dim to read. And now a non-Jew comes in and lights a nice, bright light, puts on a couple of spots where now you can really see well. So, you're allowed to eat by that light with the uh, benefit of the light that he added. And you can fix up the whole house uh, using the light the guy added. And you can wash your dishes using the light the guy added. But you cannot read by that light. Why? Because only those things that you could have done before the the guy added the light, even though you couldn't have done them as well uh, uh, without his without his his uh, his light, so that you can continue to do once the guy lit the light. But those things that you could not have done without the addition of the guy's light, such in our case the case of of reading, that you're not allowed to do at 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 all. If, let's say, there was in the room already a light on, and now a non-Jew comes and extinguishes that light in order that, let's say, the the Jew is able then to go to uh, to sleep. So again, in that case, since you're not having direct benefit, you're not benefiting from the fact, from any physical benefit that was created by the by the work done by the non-Jew, you're just uh, benefiting from the lack of light that is that is now created. So, so uh, and now that you're able to, to, uh, to sleep, so the, the Jew is allowed to sleep in that, in that room since you're not benefiting from any physical addition that was created by the malacha of, of the goy, only by the removal of, uh, of, uh, of it. Uh, and even though in the case you said before, where you're allowed to benefit from the light that the guy that the guy added, or from the darkness that was created by the uh, guy turning off the light, you cannot tell the Jew to to do this, even in a hint that has any kind of a command element in it. If you're telling him to do something, that is forbidden. For example, if the if it's dark in the house, you cannot say to the guy, do, do, me, do me a favor, right? There's not enough room. There's not enough light in the in the in the room. 
uh, and even if you're going to point to the light, that is that is forbidden because you are uh, you are hinting to him in in a in a command. You're saying, "Do something for me. Do me a favor." You cannot you cannot do that. And same thing if you the light doesn't let you sleep, you can't tell him, "Do me a favor." That you know. Do what do what needs to be done. The moment you mention the word uh, "do" or or, or or mention a verb, that is that is going to be that is getting problematic. Okay, we'll carry on with this discussion uh, next week. It's such an important thing, as, as I say, especially relevant in our in our environment. But it's time for us all to scurry off and get our own Shabbos preparations under underway. I want to thank you all for joining us and please God we'll have a year of, of, of uh, the potential and the ability to spend time together and study some Torah and just to wish each and every one of you a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos of Mvayrach, a Shabbos of uh, Menucha. This is the, the the week where we read about how Shabbos was created and enjoyed and get into it and, and learn from it and Bez Hashem it should light up your, your Shabbos, it should light up your week and Bez Hashem, light up your entire year. Thank you for being part of our radio family, and good Shabbos to all.